0: In 2022, the word yield... It's all about the yield. Hey, but you know that I am pissed off, obviously. I'm a Voyager creditor. I'm probably one of their top 30 creditors. I think anybody who wants
1: to do a land war in Europe should be punished terribly. And they like being super slow. Of course, I want to say that I'm a good person and I'm presenting that I'm a good person. But what happens when, you know, I step down and somebody else takes over? What happens when you have managers? Everybody is not going to be good. I trust the code more than I trust other people <laughs> exactly <laughs> in 2022
0: the hunt for yield caused a contagion across the crypto space with block 5 voyager celsius even ftx but what if there's a way to keep custody of your assets to keep control of your own keys and still to earn a yield in DeFi? and to tie it to an actual neo bank, that's what they're building at meld i talked with their ceo ken alling today about all of the things that they're doing why it's important why this is the perfect time to launch these products and when it will be available for retail
1: that's dope.
0: In 2022 the word yield although it doesn't have four letters effectively became a four letter word because we saw the collapse of Voyager, BlockFi, Celsius, even FTX you could say was the hunt for yield to some degree. But here you are with Meld, a neo bank that has a DeFi side that's talking all about yield again in 2023. Talk that's to right. me about that.
1: It's all about the yield. Um Yield has a bit of a different relationship compared to the U.S. You know, the U.S. it sort of was affected much more by FTX and, you know, all of these kinds of things in a much more direct way. There were less people that were exposed. So it doesn't have as as quite a negative feeling in Europe or in Asia as it does stateside, but I completely understand why it's there. Um, it's very, very sad, but I think it's very healthy at the same time. It's a painful lesson to learn, but, you know, It proved very, very beneficial to Meld because at the beginning of 2022, we had six competitors. Uh, At the end of 2022, we had no competitors.
0: (laughs) I guess that's factually true. So the question then is, how do you differentiate yourself and why should people trust yet another yield product in this space?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping sort of through this conversation, you will be able to bring some of your sort of frustration and anger about what happened in the states to this because to sort of to to get the difference between what we're trying to do and what CeFi has tried to do we really need to ask a lot of these really hard questions and so the thing
0: that yeah and I just I know you're about to say but you know that I am pissed off obviously I'm a Voyager creditor I'm probably one of their top 30 creditors I knew these guys personally I platformed these guys I had them on my show No, I had Steve Ehrlich on my show. I considered him a friend multiple times. Alex Mashinsky was on my show multiple times. SPF was on my show multiple times. I thought these were great guys with great ideas. I didn't see it at all. And the fact is, if we had even just had the disclosures and the transparency, I would have been fine with it. Because if I had seen, oh, Voyager just gave a $650 million unsecured, uncollateralized loan to 3AC, I would have pulled my money off.
1: Right. As simple as that transparency. That's all it comes down to. So our starting point, and it was hard when we were trying to do this because we were compared against BlockFi and Celsius. But our thesis is we're starting from the DeFi, from the crypto side. So transparency, keep your own keys. Transparency is a beautiful thing. Transparency is like being audited by the IRS in 100 different places, 24 hours a day. And the transparency is what balances out against the sort of human condition component of it so keep as much transparent as is possible much on the blockchain as possible then people are going to call you out you're not going to have an opportunity to to take and use other people's funds
0: and you're also non-custodial so you're not going to be holding those funds anyways
1: correct so so we have the two sides we have the the defy side which is the lending and borrowing and then we have uh neobank which is the fiat side on the lending and borrowing it's all non-custodial we have no custody of any type in any way shape or form you can look at our our filings all of our filings state that we have no custody so we fully believe that it's your keys your crypto period end of conversation and it should always be that way and then on the on the fiat side it also kind of non-custodial in the sense that the type of license we have, it's an electronic money license. It allows us to facilitate transactions. It allows us to take deposits. It allows us to do debit cards. Um, we don't get to keep that money. We we can't keep that money in our in our bank accounts, for example. The 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 actual fiat is kept in the Central Bank of Lithuania. So we can work with it in regards to a set of you know activities that we're legally allowed to do one of those activities is not use it for anything. At the end of the day, the balance the books have to balance. We cannot take any money for any
0: period of time and do anything with it, yeah, which I think is desirable to everybody because then it can't just disappear
1: <laughs> well just it's that. but think about human the human condition. you know, Bitcoin effectively came about as an answer to game theory, as an answer to the to the human side of finance. And it's it's not a matter of, of looking for good people. Of course, I want to say that I'm a good person and I'm presenting that I'm a good person. But what happens when, you know, I step down and somebody else takes over? What happens when you have managers? What You can't, everybody is not going to be good. And so I trust the code more than I trust other people. And that was why I got into crypto in the first place. I want people to trust the code, not trust me. It's not a cult of personality. This is not about you know, going out there and believing in a particular person's vision, you should look at the code. And we're doing this, actually. When we launch, we're going to be having a series of of educational things for people to learn how to read the code on the blockchain, so that they can be investigators, they can be the auditors for us, among other people. This is how you create a healthy ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I agree. And talking about unhealthy ecosystems going back, of course, to the contagion of years past, I think the real problem beyond even disclosures was the misrepresentation of what the products were FDIC insurance for Voyager or that Celsius was a way to unbank yourself and it was just as safe as a bank and only operating the same lending procedures as a bank. So, yes, it's transparency, but it's also just about being clear about what you are and representing that there is risk, right? Because Celsius should have said, we are a bank. And if you turn this button on, we're going to lend and your risk is such, this is what we're doing with it so that you can earn this yield, right? So you're not representing that there's no risk to yield with this product.
1: That's the scary part. This kind of this this approach that a lot of regulated retail organizations have and you know uh, regulators are trying to sort of defend against this but it's a very difficult thing where the the regulated entities are trying to sell as much as they can they have a license to effectively print money they can say whatever they can to be able to get as many customers as possible While if you just simply try and educate people on the idea that you know there is always going to be risk but the risk needs to be user activated risk not risk that nobody has any idea about and uh, you know when it comes down to it they're putting that money at risk for their own gains they're not putting it, that money at risk for the gains of the person who's 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 fronting this so giving access giving visual control uh, the ability to see what it is that your money is doing is really everything that you're looking for it's all about control
0: how does that specifically work on meld? Are there multiple yield products? You can choose a higher yield with a higher risk profile, but that's all transparent, or is it a fixed yield product? How does it look? So there's there's two, uh,
1: so we have two components. We have staking, and then we have the lending and borrowing protocol. In the lending and borrowing protocol, it's similar to Aave in many ways, where you supply your asset to a lending pool, and then other people can borrow it. The amount of people that borrow that asset determines the amount of yield you get. So if a lot of people borrow it, you get a higher yield. If nobody borrows it, then you get almost no yield. We have turned that a little bit on its head in the sense that we don't think that that's very efficient. So let's say you supply ETH and only 10% of that pool is being used. We then take 70 or 80% of that pool and we put it into the native ETH staking, like Rocket, like Lido, to generate a yield for that. So we will make a decision as to which yield that that's going, which system that's that's going into. The Dow will vote on that system. But then when you supply your asset, you'll have to turn this yield boost on. When you supply the asset, it'll say unsupplied yield uh, is whatever, 0.6% or 0.4%, whatever it currently is. But like a bank, have, like a bank, like right. a bank yield. yeah, sub one. Nobody, nobody's yeah. borrowing, yield, right? So it's not not right now, at least. Um, but if you want to have a yield boost, then you're told that that yield, that that ETH that you're putting in, the unused ETH, is going to go towards native staking, and then it's going to be five percent. So the floor, the the floor on our stake pools, are much higher than something like an Aave and a compound. So because we're becoming much more, uh, uh, much more capital efficient in how we're handling it.
0: So obviously in the United States, Kraken got in trouble for staking as a service, which is effectively what this is. But I think we've got better clarity in other jurisdictions. So I'm assuming that we Americans can't play in this pond for the moment. No,
1: no. uh, On the on the part that we're talking about the lending and borrowing from crypto to crypto, for the staking, you can it's fully open to Americans completely. It's DeFi. we're talking about DeFi here. With Kraken, what are you doing? You're handing over your keys, right? We're not taking anybody's keys. Period. This is all DeFi. This is all non-custodial. Um, so Amazing. all of the all of the staking that we're handling here, it's all sort of stated very, very, very clearly what you're getting and what you're getting in return and how it's working. We're not handling any of those types of assets. So no, it's very, very different than something like a Kraken. So you're not going to be. They're not going to be coming after us for staking as a service.
0: Are there any parts of it that are not available to us poor Americans who can't have any
1: fun? (laughs) So, so yes, um, unfortunately, the fiat side is currently going to not going to be available to Americans in America. Um, We want to bring it to the states. We have a plan to bring it to the states, but it's going to take a lot longer um, or it's going to take until the new administration comes into power and things start to change. But, um we we actually had a plan to bring it to the U.S um, until about four months ago or five months ago. And then we just deemed that the SEC and Treasury were too too aggressive and too sort of, um, I don't know, too 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 difficult to work with, too, they're too much of a predator and not not willing to have a conversation uh, at this point in time. So we just decided to back off on it.
0: It's interesting because I think, from inside the crypto bubble, you would think the fiat side would be the easier part in the United States. You have effectively some sort of banking license in Lithuania, right? So why is that impossible here if you actually have that banking license with a central bank?
1: So the U.S. has a uh, has a unique set of well, that's not true. The U.S. has a pretty harsh and unique set of rules when it comes to um, providing banking services to retail um they want it to be an American licensed entity they want to follow state rules when it comes to things like interest and you know these kinds of uh these kinds of regulations um it's not great it's really really difficult for it, it in reality it actually hinders a lot of what retailers can do and what how they can earn but it's it's just it is the way it is the the, this is how the states are currently set up in regards to their their regulations and we have to we have to accept the fact that it's going to be that way for the short term
0: speaking of central banks I know that you have some passionate feelings there and some insight as to the behavior of central banks in the past few months and year yeah I mean right now there's kind of a
1: I wouldn't call it a war per se But I would say that there's definitely a a point in time right now and over the next couple of months where central banks are picking sides. So you have in September, you had um, the war in Ukraine started, Russia invaded, and the Federal Reserve and the ECB and the IMF and the BIS seized $600 billion in Russian central bank funds as a result of that. the fact that they seized it because russia invaded into europe i think is fantastic i think anybody who wants to do a land war in europe should be punished terribly but what it the signal that it sends is that the us has has pushed the nuclear option when it comes to finance and dollars so they've seized a central banks foreign dollar denominated reserves which they had never done before, you know, they'd done it in small, small situations, things like Iraq and and things like that, but they've not done it to like a permanent seat in the UN security council. That is a big, big deal. And what it's telling, what the signal that it's sending to all the central bankers is their funds are not safe in dollars. The U S government has the opportunity, has the ability to take that and with some excuse or some whatever reason, they can actually seize those assets. We have legal precedents now for doing it. So China is not thinking about Taiwan. China is thinking about one trillion dollars in dollar-denominated assets, right? If they do anything, then and the U.S. acts upon it the way they have acted upon Russia, effectively the U.S. is out of debt if they do something like that. So it's 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 a serious carrot. Oh, sorry, it's a serious stick and there is no carrot right now. That's the problem. And you see this now, after this event happened, you saw the bricks come together. There became this unifying idea, this unifying fear about India and Brazil and Egypt and Kenya and, you know, UAE. All of these countries are, what they see is that their dollar denominated assets are not safe if they don't follow what the U.S. tells them to do. This is really scary stuff. And I think that we're going to look look back in 20 years and we're going to see September as being a, a serious sort of line in the sand that has fundamentally changed the way that we understand the banking system that's existed for the past 50 or 60 years.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. And it seems like you just made the case for crypto.
1: Yeah, this is this is such a, you know, I feel like, I would love to take the credit but I feel like it's just it's luck right it's it's a timing thing you know we we had a lot of work to do in regards to development so we didn't launch in 2022 we don't have much in the way of competitors left and now there's this huge opportunity the world's global economy is becoming bipolar and when you have these two systems that don't trust each other you have the BRICS and you have the US the West the US Europe then the sort of it it screams the value proposition it screams the thesis of bitcoin it screams the thesis of crypto as a supranational non-sovereign oriented um store of value and so i think that we're going to see this over the next 5 or 6 10 years how how it's going to play out and how the world is going to embrace both their localized currencies like you have you know whatever in russia and they're going to do trade deals in their native currencies etc but i think that they will more and more gravitate towards crypto specifically bitcoin as a method of having a a kind of an uncensored way of being able to transfer value you'll start to see um the the very centralized mining of bitcoin become more decentralized as each country starts to see that them running nodes is an incentive it's a protection on their own sovereign use of bitcoin so in a weird kind of way the 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 thesis or the starting point of bitcoin which was kind of to take away the power of uh, centralized government's money and making it more decentralized, more predictable, that value proposition is becoming more and more valuable to countries.
0: Right, uh, to, to basically hedge against the United States, which is really interesting. Did Bitcoin has the same value proposition all the way down to eliminate predatory power structures effectively. And Like you said, you guys have, whether by luck or skill, You're really threading the needle of this perfect opportunity with that CFI collapse and this new sort of emerging, not new narrative, but people seeing the original narrative and sort of ethos of Bitcoin. I mean, even you have Larry Fink from BlackRock on TV saying almost the exact thing that you just said, saying that it could be a global currency, it could transcend fiat currencies. Larry Fink. Talking about a guy that manages almost $10 trillion in assets is on TV every single day now talking about Bitcoin and crypto and digitizing assets. It's, It's really a marvel.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the thesis was there from day one. But I think that, you know, I'm one. I didn't come into crypto until 2020. I didn't see the real value proposition until GameStop. When GameStop happened, then I got the sort of aha moment but i think that it takes especially if you've been in finance it takes you a lot longer to kind of get your head around this idea of of having a currency that has no political loyalty that has no ability to be you know bribed or abused in any way shape or form that only becomes a value when it becomes a pain point right in the us and in europe um, crypto is kind of lukewarm but if you're looking at you know um Argentina if you're looking at Nigeria if you're looking at Vietnam if you look at countries that are suffering under bad monetary policy they totally see the value of Bitcoin they see the value of crypto because they know what monetary policy looks like when it's done very badly
0: yeah that that makes perfect sense so we kind of having this regulatory conversation about the United States Luckily, since you and I are having a conversation within a couple of days of actually release, we can talk about the new news. And the BlackRock ETF is one of them, but the Ripple decision is another. What yeah. do you make of the fact that uh, Ripple has effectively beaten the SEC, at least on the part of the case that people in crypto seem to d- deeply care about?
1: I'm super happy about it because I think that crypto needs a win after all of these really horrible sets of experiences. But the reality of it is very much not the case i think that the the situation is in the going to happen in the appeals court so if if when the sec appeals if the court of appeals accepts the appeal they don't reject it then i think you're going to see that um the sec has a much more likely a much higher likelihood of actually winning the case in the end but if the court of appeals does not accept it then there's a chance that you know, this, this becomes legal precedent. Um, of course, Ripple could win, you know, uh, down the line as well. But that never forget that the SEC has like, the war chest of war chests, right? They're, they're quite literally have the ability to print money. And so I think that it's, I'm very happy about it. And I'm very happy that, you know, it's given this kind of boost of confidence into the crypto space. But I think in the long term, it really hasn't changed much of anything.
0: I mean the lawyers I've spoken to have said the appeal process at minimum would take a year to a year and a half just to be heard in court so it seems like we have this little uh, golden zone right now of time when all of these coins can at least make the claim that they're not <laughs> not not securities and interestingly the Coinbase I mean all these other exchanges immediately relisted XRP so they are not afraid of the SEC here
1: clearly I don't believe that. I think that I think that Coinbase is very very afraid of the SEC. Um, I think that if you look at Coinbase's behavior, they have done everything that they possibly can to engage the SEC on more kind of amicable and fair footing. As soon as the SEC did their Wells Notice, that's when you saw Coinbase pull out the knives and they were like, okay, fine. You wanna come after us this way after we've tried everything we can, we'll come back after you. And you saw that their stance totally changed once the Wells notice happened. And so I think that they want, I think that their intent, based on what I've seen, their intent is to collaborate, which is what we wanted to do with regards to the SEC coming to the US. But that is not the intent of the current administration and the current SEC. They're they're clearly extremely hostile. And so Coinbase is kind of mirroring this hostility in order to protect themselves. And I think that they're, they're, they're doing exactly what they should be doing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think everybody at this point is galvanized behind these large companies that are going against the SEC. Because even if you don't like the individual company, you don't like the actors involved... We still need the wins, as you said. It's good to get a win.
1: Yeah, I mean, this This is starting to turn into, and I hope it doesn't happen in Europe with Mika, but it's starting to turn into a a real sort of battle for the right for individuals to handle their own investment, to handle their own money, right? This is what it, when if you boil it down to its basic, the sec is trying to quote unquote protect retail investors but if you look you know retail has been the most successful when it comes to crypto crypto is designed specifically for retail and it's just it it puts retail on the same footing as institutional in many different ways and so the 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 battle that we're finding here is you know is, is it going to be a situation like it currently is in finance, where you have to be uh, an accredited investor in order to benefit from this system, meaning the rich get to benefit from, you know, this this very, very class structured system? Or is it going to continue what we have now, which is this more sort of egalitarian type of idea?
0: Yeah, so that begs the next question, which is why create MELD? Who is it specifically for? Who's the target customer Is it every man? Is it a certain people in certain countries that are unbanked? No,
1: no. So, so this it's, it's nice to have this kind of bank, the unbanked narrative and this kind of thing. But when it comes down to it, my real sort of passion for it has to do with fairness. It has to do with, I'm not trying to, to, you know, to, to save people in specific countries. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say that the made in Brazil and the shopkeep in Nigeria, and the stockbroker in New York, they should get absolutely the same treatment, they should get the same interest rate, they should get the same level playing field that they currently do not get, right? With the current financial system, with the current regulations, they're treated massively different based on their current country, or their sex, or all of these different types of things. So we just simply want to make really powerful, useful tools That are currently only available to corporations and high net worth individuals we want to make them available to the masses we want to help people manage wealth we don't want credit scores we don't want to create debt for anybody i don't think that debt brings anybody out of poverty i think that there are more than enough like fascinating and really great financial tools out there that can help the poor become you know financially stable and you know, effectively, our starting point is this idea of a Lombard loan. And a Lombard loan is where you take an asset you already have and you borrow against it. So this is currently
0: done. You can, you can do it in the States. A collateralized loan. Yeah, of course. I mean, the wealthy people have been doing this forever.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's different in the sense that if it's an over collateralized loan, then there is no credit check. Right. There is no duration for the loan. If you have put collateral up for it and you're paying your interest on a monthly basis, why do I have to pay it off in five or 20 or six or nine or 15 years? The bank's making the money or whoever, whoever is you know, paying the interest to is making the money. So we want to sort of turn this back into take the, the tools that exist today. and We want to turn it back into something that is much more, much more fair for everybody involved. What That's assets the, will people be able to use as collateral? So initially um, we'll probably have a limited number of assets, probably 10 15 assets in order to to test out all of our risk models to make sure our risk models are solid and there's nothing in there that's that's questionable. Eventually we will expand that out to hundreds of different assets. But remember that the the assets that you're borrowing or assets that you're're you're, you're putting up and the assets that you're borrowing the the risk on those assets is going to change based on the specific asset so if the asset is illiquid then it's going to be a high risk asset if the asset is very very liquid so if you have you know you might have an asset that's worth you know whatever several hundred thousand dollars but if only like two hundred dollars a day is traded so that it's not a very liquid asset or it's if the if the liquidity in the asset is like twenty thousand dollars then it's not very liquid so There's a lot of uh, components connected to that, but in the beginning, it'll probably be about 15 or 20 um, assets, and then we'll expand out from there. But the assets will be across multiple blockchains. So we see blockchains as liquidity pools. We don't see them as isolated systems. And so we want when you when you put up your collateral, you're not putting up. You know, ETH and then borrowing against the ETH and putting up AVE and borrowing against, I'm oh, sorry, uh, AVAX and borrowing against AVAX. This is how AVE and Compound do it. They do it on a kind of chain by chain basis. We're approaching it as all of these chains are part of the ecosystem. So you can take your Bitcoin, your ETH, your AVAX, your ADA, you can mix it all together. And that's a single set of collateral that you're borrowing against.
0: Uh, that's a really, really interesting approach i think it'll be favorable for a lot of people will they ever be able to use real world assets as collateral yes
1: so um we don't talk about it much but um all of you 2020- can now
0: if you'd like
1: <laughs> <laughs> all of 2024 um we're going to be focusing on tokenized assets so right now we're building the the primitives necessary to do the basics you know staking pools liquidity pools lending and borrowing you know fiat finance um but in 2024 we're going to be launching a thing called uh meta which is effectively a method of taking real world tokenized assets and being able to get a yield against them and when you get that asset as a token you can trade it on the secondary market and so you know if you if you're familiar with the the bigger economic sort of financial world you understand that you have equities but if you look at the bond market it's four times bigger than the equities market so the bond market is like the big guy in the room but he never talks so it's all otc deal it's all very quiet hush hush um again you know the public gets very little access to this unless they're doing it via funds or ot or, or etfs or something like that And so I think that there's a huge opportunity for normal people to get access to high yield assets, high yield real world assets um, that they've never had asset access to in history. And so if we win this, if we win this kind of battle, and we're able to provide this, then I think it has the potential to really change, change, pretty much everybody from, you know, living day to day, to starting to think about wealth management.
0: And Larry Fink and BlockRock bringing them up again in their annual letter, which I think came out in March. People haven't been talking about this, but they talked about exactly that at length, about tokenizing real world assets, the multi-trillion dollar opportunities of doing that. We're all talking about their ETF, but this is where the real money and use case for crypto arguably comes in will you be tokenizing the assets yourself or would you be working with a partner they do the tokenization of the asset they take that side and you just allow it to be collateralized and to earn the yield so i
1: guess about no september october of last year things changed like august you had the huge collapse we went into the bear market and then i started hearing from lots of people the like the the sort of class a large commercial banks and financial institutions started talking about and engaging us and other people with regards to tokenization so i think that their 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 plan is to take full advantage of this for the next bull market and i think that it is going to be the actual the big thing we are not going to be tokenizing anything tokenization is going to be a commodity Anybody is going to be able to do it. What we're trying to do is we're trying to be the iTunes for the distribution of tokenized assets. We want to help make it fair and predictable and transparent how people choose the tokenized assets they want.
0: Are there other major jurisdictions outside of the United States where certain features won't be available? How does this work with Mika in Europe? So
1: our, our license is based in Lithuania, so we're, we're able to operate within the EU and the EEA. Um, we're expecting that the tokenized assets part is not going to be part of our fiat sort of ecosystem. So it'll be part of the DeFi system. Uh, we're hoping um, it'll be determined probably in Q1 of next year. Um, but we're offering our services globally. Um, obviously, we don't allow sanctioned countries um, we don't allow, you know, sanctioned wallets. Um, so we have things like, you know, whatever Iraq, um, or sorry, Iran, we don't have, what Venezuela, North, North Korea, Korea, Korea. Right. Yeah, nice. Nice. yeah, there's like 60 countries that we're not allowed to operate in. Um, and these are set by the ECB. Um, but outside of that, we have a, a free hand to be able to work with people and, you know, offer our services to them.
0: For grand vision, you talked about being able to offer, offer tokenized assets. Are there other things that we haven't mentioned that you guys may do in three years, five years, ten years that are in the uh, in the framework? I think that for now,
1: I mean, there might be something sort of going forward, but for now, that's really kind of all we want to do. If I the the, the value proposition, the sort of the sort of sign of success is if we can make it possible for. A person who, you know, has really no financial future to be able to do a lombard loan and buy bit buy a piece of a Bitcoin and then borrow against it, but keep the Bitcoin and see the appreciation of it, do all of these things that large corporations do, then I'm happy I've won. You know, it's 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 wonderful. Um, I don't need anything else. But I mean, we're talking about, you know, between you and me and you know, probably a lot of the people watching this, this show. We're the 1% or less than the 1%. There is 99% of the planet that doesn't have access to most of these things. I mean, I'm an American. I live abroad, meaning I can't access any of the financial services in the United States because I live abroad. So the system is designed, it's it's kind of like the music industry back in the 80s when, you know, you couldn't, you had sort of like Japanese imports or you had DVDs that, you know, you couldn't watch on. It's so segregated for no reason. You needed
0: Tower Records or Virgin and there were, you know, and to, to get your music distributed, there was no internet. So you had to have a predatory deal with a music label who had a distribution deal and there were only five. It, right. It could be yeah, get it. you on the shelf in Tower Records. Yep. So you
1: know this 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 playbook has played out many times in many different industries and I think that the the unique differentiating factor for us is that the the actor that is playing out here is an impartial actor. It's not being disrupted by Spotify or or you know or iTunes or something like that. It's being disrupted by something that has no incentive for financial gain it has no uh no race it has no sexist it's not sexist it's not racist it's not nationalistic it's it's completely flat in every way and as long as we can keep our eye on that perspective and that is our focus is our starting point is from crypto it's not from finance if we can keep our eye on that then I think we have a chance for this product to actually meet the expectations of uh, Satoshi.
0: Beyond the product itself, uh, you're obviously an enthusiast, you believe in this market. What excites you outside of specifically what MELD is doing? Are there other things that are happening in crypto that obviously you're not touching on? You can't do everything yourself that you think will become huge narratives in the coming months and years?
1: what I love about crypto is the creativity that happens there and it's important for everybody to understand that every system wants to create a balance for itself and in crypto on one end you have this massive creativity with like automated market makers and flash loans and lending and borrowing and stuff like this but you can't have that without having all the rugs it's not an option right that freedom creates massive creative opportunities, and it also creates opportunities for people to take fully advantage. As soon as you cut out the rugs, as soon as you regulate it so massively and so strictly that nobody can can hurt anybody, then you no longer have any of that creativity either. And it's an unfortunate mechanic, and education can help with regards to this, but you will not see it. So that's what excites me the most, is this this kind of destructive creativity that happens. I mean, when I understood, when I first learned about flash loans and how they work, they completely blew my mind. I mean, really it blew my mind. And, you know, I think that 99% from my conversations, 99% of people in crypto don't understand what a flash loan is that, or how
0: it works. That That's for sure. Do you mind? Want- can you want to explain it? Because uh, that means yeah. 99% of the people listening won't know what a flash loan is or how it works. And I think they've gotten a very negative view for a lot of the people yeah. who do because of some of the collapses last year.
1: So so that's how I had it. I had, I had a view that it was about like sandwich attacking and things like that, front running people. No, so a flash loan is pretty simple in the sense that what it is, it's you're able to take out an uncollateralized loan within one single block. So you have to take the loan out and you have to pay it back inside of that one block. If it's not paid back in that block, then the way that the code is written is you never borrowed it. So it will never be deducted from the account that it was theoretically taken out of. And so think about it this way. And this is a really valuable way of using it. You've uh, you've gone into Aave and you have put up a bunch of collateral and you've borrowed USDC and you're paying 2% on that USDC. But USDT is only 1% to borrow. So if you want to reposition your, your yourself, you have to pay back that full USDC amount, and then you have to take out another loan with USDT. With a flash loan, you can do all of those transactions. You can pay it back and get the USDT loan, so you're paying 1% less. You can do that in the same block. So if it's used in the right way, it's massively efficient way of handling it. And it's super profitable if you're if you're doing a flash loan. So it it it's really aligned in many different ways towards creating a really healthy ecosystem. Obviously, outside of the the front running stuff, but there are other uses, other use cases in it as well. But it's it's it can't exist in the traditional finance world. It doesn't exist because the technology doesn't afford it.
0: And they like being super slow. <laughs> True. They want to be the aircraft carrier, not the not the speedboat for sure, which makes sense. So when will all this be available? I know that right now you can get on the waiting list.
1: Yeah. So you can get on the waiting list, go to mel.fi sign up. Um, we're going to be launching in Alpha in August. We'll be launching for early access people in September. And in September, we'll be having we'll be launching our test net for our lending and borrowing protocol. So probably sometime in October, it'll all come into mainnet. And then uh, before Christmas, you'll see it open to absolutely everybody. But if you want early access, if you want to get in early, then you can come and sign up on the meld finance meld.fi website, and you'll get early access, which will be probably in September.
0: Amazing. And where can people follow you after this conversation? Right. Um, you can follow me at at Ken Blau, B-L-A-U-E on Twitter. Love it, Ken. Thank you so much. I love what you guys are doing. I look forward to seeing it launch on the waiting list, and I encourage everybody else to get on the waiting list as well.
1: Thanks. I'm looking forward to getting hard questions from you and sort of uh, making sure we do the right thing.
0: Well, I think we're all going to put it to the put it put it to the test once it launches. Right. <laughs> looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. Thanks, Scott. That's